It's Monday, July 11th. I'm Pam Jones. Maryland's COVID positivity rate remains above 9%. Testing for monkeypox began today at Mayo Clinic Laboratories. Early voting underway in Maryland is, so far, underwhelming. And what are called the lungs of Maryland's Chesapeake Bay get a close examination by Smithsonian researchers. It's the Daily Dose from WIPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID-19 response and the local news of the day, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. The latest trend with COVID numbers remains the same with the positivity rate exceeding 9%. The state health department shows a 9.76 positivity rate with 553 people in area hospitals because of the virus and an added 1,918 new cases over the past 24 hours. Mayo Clinic Laboratories in Minnesota today began testing for monkeypox using CDC's orthopox virus tests, which detects most non-smallpox-related orthopox viruses, including monkeypox. Anyone with a rash that looks like monkeypox should talk to their health care provider about whether they need to get tested, even if they don't think they had contact with someone who has monkeypox. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky says the ability of commercial laboratories to test for monkeypox is a key component in combating the disease. Fewer Marylanders appear to be voting early in this year's primary election for governor. Heading into this week, election officials describe turnout as especially low. Early voting wraps up Thursday night. The primary election is on Tuesday, July 19th. More than 80 locations are open throughout the state. There's a new number to call for people who are experiencing a mental health emergency. The three-digit number is 988 It goes directly to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which offers a network of counselors and information about crisis centers in the area. The number went into effect this past weekend. As I mentioned at the top of this podcast, early voting is now underway in Maryland ahead of our July 19th primary. State elections officials say it appears to be getting off to a slow start. And when it comes to who Marylanders want for governor, there are a lot of folks still undecided, according to a Goucher College poll co-sponsored by WIPR and the Baltimore Banner in mid-June. Our State House and Politics reporter Rachel Bay and Pamela Wood of the Banner explained what some residents are weighing this election during a conversation with On the Record host Sheila Cast. I got the impression looking at some of the issues the poll asked about that Republicans are less happy than Democrats. Rachel, how does it look to you? Less happy is a hard one to answer, honestly. Uh, I would say that when it comes to the the direction that Maryland is heading, 63% of Republican voters in in the poll that we just did say that Maryland is off on the wrong track uh, compared with a plurality of uh, Democratic voters who said that Maryland is headed in the right direction. It also correlates with their view of the Maryland economy, Republican voters tend to have a pretty negative view of Maryland's economy. Uh, 74% said they have a mostly negative view of the economic situation in Maryland versus 47% of Democratic voters who said they have a mostly positive view of the economy. So it, it doesn't quite correlate with the views of current leadership, namely Governor Larry Hogan. But yes, when you when you ask about whether Maryland is 
headed in the right direction. Uh, I, I guess you could say that Republican voters tend to be a little less happy with the state of things. Pamela, where did you see the biggest divergence between the parties? I mean, crime is a big worry for voters in both parties. That's right. We we did see some common issues of concern uh, when we polled Republican and Democratic voters about their key issues. Uh, you know, crime is one. Um, the economy is another. Uh, certainly where the difference is when you talk about the candidates have different public policy solutions for those with crime. You know, Republicans are advocating more tough on crime, tougher sentences, more police, uh, more police activity. Uh, Democrats, uh, the candidates are favoring kind of a mix of solutions, uh, preventing crime, interrupting crime as well as more effective policing. So what the difference really I see is, is the approaches to solving these problems that are common to Marylanders. I want to talk about these undecided voters. At the top of the Democratic list, a dead heat among the top three running for governor, 16% for Peter Francho, 14% for Westmore and Tom Perez, a difference well within the margin of error of the poll of 4.9%, and a much bigger number, 35% undecided. Likewise, on the Republican side, Dan Cox at 25%, Kelly Schultz at 22% within the 4.8% margin of error, and 44% undecided. These were the numbers about a month before the primary vote. Is this level of indecision normal, Rachel? So you have to remember, first of all, that primary elections tend to attract the most dedicated, hardcore, I would say, of uh, voters, because you have to be registered with a party to vote in a primary. And the, the general uh, wisdom is that you get people who have who are uh, more partisan in a primary than you would in a general election. So that's that's number one. But but second, I haven't gone back and looked at the same uh, at polls from the same time in the last election. So I can't say 100% what the numbers were, but I, I it is pretty common to have large numbers of undecided voters, even up to the time that people kind of walk into the polls. I mean, anecdotally speaking, uh, I've you know, for years gone out and talked to people as they're walking into polling places on election day, on primary day. And you do hear a lot of people saying as they're standing in line to go into the, to cast their ballot, uh, that they are still deciding who to vote for. They might go in and make a game time decision. Uh, so I, I would say it's, it's pretty common. There's, a, there's still a lot of votes up for grab, even this close to a primary. You can hear the entire conversation about what's on the minds of Maryland voters this election by going to On the Record at WYPR.org. The Chesapeake Bay's marshes have been called the lungs of the bay. They provide habitat for fish and waterfowl, help clean polluted waters, and slow the power of floods and storms. That's why the scientists at the Smithsonian Environmental Research Center are studying how to preserve marshes in the face of rising sea level. WIPR's Joel McCord has more. 
At the end of a narrow winding road in southern Anne Arundel County, a vast marsh stretches on seemingly forever. There are stands of Phragmites, but mostly it's covered by bulrush and salt meadow grass. But this is no ordinary marsh. It's dotted with plexiglass squares and cylinders with infrared lamps to maintain different temperatures inside each square. Pipes snake through the water, pumping carbon dioxide at different rates into each of the squares. It's part of a carefully controlled experiment to figure out how best to preserve Chesapeake marshes. We're basically constantly measuring the amount of CO2 going into those plots and we're kind of adjusting the volume up and down to basically create an environment within those chambers that's at about 750 um, parts per million of extra CO2. That's Roy Rich, one of the scientists conducting the studies. He says the level of carbon dioxide, a greenhouse gas, in the atmosphere has increased over the 35 years since these experiments began, but not quite to that level. We're trying to understand how these different resources interact and what that means for our future marshes. Genevieve Noyes, another scientist on the team, says healthier marsh grasses soak up more carbon dioxide, potentially easing some effects of climate change, and they provide other benefits. In places like Annapolis, where you're getting sea level, high rate to sea level rise, they're kind of buffering storm surge. So you would much rather have big waves or big floods come in and kind of go through the marsh rather than banging right up against your property. In Annapolis, it doesn't take a storm to flood city dock. At high tide, with the wind in the right direction, water slaps against the pilings and pushes up through the storm drains and into the streets, flooding businesses and costing thousands in damage. The city has poured millions into a system of underground pumps to keep the water out of the streets and raise the level of the bulkheading around the dock, sharply reducing the days of nuisance flooding. Mayor Gavin Buckley says that's only a short-term solution. He has a $34 million project in the works to protect the dock from future flooding. But that won't include marshes, he says. But a lot of ours is built out and a lot of ours is private, so we, we have challenges on that front, but, but we're going to look at every option available to us as we prepare the city. With a few exceptions, Baltimore has similar issues. Development up to the water's edge. One of those exceptions is a marsh at the end of Round Road in Cherry Hill. But there are problems there as well, says Alice Volpeda of Blue Water Baltimore, because sewer pipes run under the marsh. And that means that these pipes are going to be more and more inundated with sea level, with, with that sea level rise as it continues to rise. And that means that there's less room for the sewage and the stormwater that are supposed to be flowing in pipes just like this. As the marsh shrinks, that means there's less of a sponge to soak up the rain and the rising sea level. But it's not all doom and gloom, she adds. So around the middle branch area, there's a lot of restoration work being done um, to increase the amount of marshlands, to really revitalize that whole area. And one of the most exciting parts about that project is that it's reconnecting these neighborhoods with that waterfront resource. Meanwhile, the Smithsonian scientists are conducting one complicated experiment after another, hoping to understand, as Rich said, what we need to do to keep these systems intact. I'm Joel McCord, WYPR News.
The Daily Dose is brought to you by WIPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Many thanks to my news team colleagues, Rachel Bay, Shekinah Collier, Bethany Burnell-Raja, John Lee, Joel McCord, and Kristen Mossbrucker. Our general manager is LaFontaine Oliver. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Danielle Irby. If you have a scoop or suggestion for this podcast, my social media hangout is Twitter, at That's Pam Jones. Remember to be courageous and stay curious. I'm Pam Jones. Thanks for listening.